This is the City Voice Podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. Every winter, AWC hosts our City Action Days Conference, where city officials come together to learn good advocacy and then use that information to engage with their legislators. Due to the ongoing pandemic, it took place online this year, where we welcomed more than 200 city officials to the popular event. In today's episode, we are sharing something truly special and rare. Leaders from all four corners of the legislature, that's the leaders of the Senate and House Democrats and the leaders of the Senate and House Republicans, joined us all at once and talked about their priorities and how they intersect with city issues. It's a candid and insightful overview of what's going on at the state legislature directly from the source. Take a listen. Let me just take a moment to introduce our our four legislative leaders. We are very, again, honored to be joined by Speaker of the House, Representative Lori Jenkins from the 27th District. We are also joined by House Minority Leader, Representative J.T. Wilcox from the 2nd District. And then, of course, Senate Majority Leader, Senator Andy Billig from the 3rd Legislative District and Senate Minority Leader, Senator John Braun from the 20th Legislative District. We are just very pleased and honored to have you with us. I've got a few questions to ask you, and I just want to start with asking you to each tell us a little bit about your caucus's priorities and goals for this session and how they may be of interest and or impact cities. Speaker Jenkins, we'll start with you, and we'll we'll kind of go in the order I I did introductions for this question. Great. Thank you, uh, Candice. And it's great to have so many um, elected officials and uh, others who are associated with our cities join today. And Our partnership with you is really very important to us. So thank you for being here and thank you for the work that you do. We're uh, now, I think, in day 18 of a 60-day session. It moves faster than anyone ever imagines it could move. And so it's very important to us, I think, in the, the House Democratic Caucus that we be very focused in what we do. We've spent the interim really engaging with our communities and stakeholders across the state and uh, community members. And I imagine that a number of our members have been very engaged with a number of your members and your staff. There are really four areas that we're looking at focusing on. And this is really from what we heard in our communities. The first is economic well-being for every Washingtonian and making sure that everyone is able to take advantage of this recovery. Historically, our recoveries, people who've gone into like a downturn and have been okay going in, come out pretty good in our recovery too. People who go in really in a marginal status in a, in a negative kind of uh, economic environment, they come out and they don't really recover. And we're very committed to bringing the recovery that we're in to everyone. I think the second thing we want to make sure we do is assure that the services that the state is providing to Washingtonians are really accessible and are useful to Washingtonians. So those will be two focus areas Um, that we work on this year. And then there are two that are going to be very long-term efforts, uh, but we're committed to sticking with them. It's taken us a long time to get where we're at, and it'll take us a long time to move the needle on these things. And the first is a racial equity and justice and focusing on that. And the second is addressing the existential threat of climate change. 
So those will be four areas. Not all of our legislation will be in those areas, but we'll have a lot. We already do have a lot, dozens of bills really focused in those four areas. So, so that's how we'll work to move Washington forward. Thank you, Speaker Jenkins. Representative Wilcox. Well, uh, I'd like to thank all of you for being here uh, as well. It's interesting. I've, I've rarely lived in a city in my life, briefly in a little town of Cheney. But since the second district is a small town district, I represent a surprising number of small towns. And many of them have been very involved in this organization. And I've always appreciated their input. I'm going to concentrate on the things that I think are you know, most interesting uh, that we have in common between the House Republican Caucus and uh, small and large cities. Uh, First is public safety. I have normally looked at public safety as an issue that the voters, the people are interested in. I've not often heard that thought of as a economic issue, but this year it has become overwhelming among uh, especially small business people, retailers, as well as the residents of our cities and even rural people. We've seen, uh, I think, a recognition that uh, a number of the bills passed last year went too far. And we've also, I think, seen successful bipartisan efforts in uh, retrieving the situation. Uh, A number of those have now passed out of the Public Safety Committee with bipartisan support. And, And one of the other things that was different this year is you police organizations play a a public role in this discussion where last year, I think many of them were reluctant to engage. We have a couple of bills, though, that uh, need some help that I think you're going to be interested in. First of all, we know that retail, organized retail theft is a major problem for retailers and some of our largest cities, and it's been hard to deal with. Uh, Dan Griffey has been running a retail theft bill for several years. Uh, it, it makes it through part of the process and then uh, always falls short. It's uh, HB 1656, and uh, it deserves to pass this year. It's both an economic and a public safety issue. The next one is a Democrat bill. Chair Goodman has uh, offered a couple of bills that address the problems regarding when police are allowed to detain suspects in criminal cases. The newest bill is uh, HB 2037, had a difficult hearing but it, or something very much like it, maybe even one that goes a little bit farther, uh, is absolutely necessary for us to maintain public safety. And I would urge everybody to indicate their support for that. All across the state, we know that housing is a, a huge issue. And one of the regrets that I have after beginning my 12th year here in the legislature is that every year we've seen bills pass that make it harder to build homes. And the result is about a 250,000 unit shortage of housing in the state of Washington. I think there's broad recognition uh, of this. Uh, However, I think that the solutions that have been proposed to date have really only concentrated on the biggest cities and those that are the best served by public transit. And uh, we have to get to a recognition that people want to live in our small cities they're affordable. We should create a regulatory environment that encourages the construction of businesses that provide employment there. And we should also understand that uh, we have to make it easier to build homes in our small towns and small cities, not just the largest cities in our state. 
Uh, I know that I'm going kind of long, so I'm just going to breeze through the last one. There's uh, there's not a business in Washington that isn't aware of the workforce challenges that we have right now. Uh, this is a good time to be a worker. And uh, I think that workers are going to be able to demand higher wages. That's a good thing. That's the market working correctly. We've got to be sure that we are encouraging our training resources to turn out the maximum number of people that are qualified for today's economy. Thank you, Representative Wilcox. Senator Billig. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. Great to be with you this morning. You know, we're Senate Democrats, I think very similar to things that you've heard, but really focus big picture on making sure that that the recovery works for everyone. I mean, Washington is doing, compared to other states, very well coming through this pandemic. We're one of the healthiest and most economically resilient states in the whole country. And that's thanks to the hard work and sacrifice of so many people who are on this uh, Zoom and really our, our constituents as well. There's been a lot of loss and a lot of sacrifice, but compared to other states, uh, we're actually doing quite well. But it doesn't mean it's working for everyone. And that, that recovery, as the speaker mentioned, hasn't touched uh, everyone in the same uh, positive way, even though our state economy, and we just got news today, our national economy actually doing very well. So we're going to be really looking for those targeted investments and policy improvements to help in the areas where we know people need help. So childcare, housing, mental health, healthcare generally, and make sure that we're making those targeted investments. Also very focused on supporting uh, businesses, particularly small businesses. So we've got a lot of work going on on the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund. We also are going to see uh, targeted uh, tax incentives uh, to spur manufacturing and, and job creation and to make sure that we've got, that we've strengthened the safety net for workers as well. That safety net was so important during this pandemic with the uh, unemployment insurance and paid family medical leave, we've got to shore those up and make sure that they're going to be there for the next time that we need them to protect workers. And the last thing I'll just mention, which is probably of interest to a lot of people on this call, is we're really focused on getting a transportation package done. There's sort of a new energy, I think, in the process. Uh, Senator Hobbs did a great job laying the foundation and the groundwork, and he, of course, has moved on to become Secretary of State. Senator Elias has brought a new energy on the Senate side. Uh, Senator Saldana, uh, working closely with him, and uh, Senator King, as well as the ranking member. And uh, I am very optimistic that we are going to have a good chance uh, to pass a responsible transportation package that really helps move our state forward. Thank you, Senator Billig. And we'll circle back to that transportation issue in a moment. Uh, Senator Braun. Well, thanks, Candace. Thanks for having me here. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. <clears throat> kind of like uh, Representative Wilcox, I represent a rural district with lots of small towns and cities. And I, and I actually represent not the uh, right up next to a number of larger cities like like Olympia and, and Longview, Kelso and Vancouver. So I have a lot of interaction with cities around Southwest Washington. Happy to be here. Uh, in terms of the priorities for our caucus, you're going to hear a lot of overlap with what you heard with the previous three uh, speakers. Our top priority this session has been to restore public safety. As mentioned earlier, I think we got it wrong last year with some of these police bills uh, that went too far and removed some of the tools and tactics that our officers need to keep our community safe. Pleased to see a lot of bipartisan effort to try to fix those those errors in a quick way that, you know, and we're happy to support. I don't know that we all agree on what fix means. So there's some, I'm sure there's going to be some, some dialogue about, about that. But as I listen to both community members and law enforcement members in my, in my district, 
uh, I hear a, a very strong concern about the rising crime, about their inability to, to help uh, from response to actual criminal activity to simply working together with uh, mental health service providers to provide assistance to people who need it and, and keep the, the, both the providers safe and the people that may be needing services safe. So there's some very sense, simple common sense, common sense fixes that I think need to be made. And then, of course, there's some more challenging ones that we don't all agree on, like what are we going to do long term about the Blake decision and the impact that's having on our on our communities around the state. That's a big deal. I'm very personally vested in getting that right. I don't think we have it right yet, but hopefully we'll we'll get there over the next year. And uh, the next priority, again, similar to what was mentioned before, is really returning affordability to to the state of Washington. I think that we're in, we have some some points of agreement. I I agree that the the high inflation that we've seen nationally and particularly here in Washington that exceeds the national average is very hard on folks in the middle, folks who were just barely making it prior to the recession, who you know were barely able to afford food and rent with the high inflation we've seen, even with rising wages, it's making it impossible for them to make it in the state of Washington. Washington has simply become unaffordable to many uh, middle and low income uh, citizens. And we need to we need to think about every time we pass a bill off the floor. What's this doing to uh, the ability to afford to live here in Washington? Whether it's a big amount or small amount, it just keeps piling up. We have a lot of ability to stop that that increase in, in cost and, and make Washington more affordable. And whether it's tax relief or targeted tax relief, as Senator Billy mentioned, which I'm certainly interested in, or simply uh, thinking about does this bill make it more expensive to to to, to buy groceries, to buy gas, uh, to to for, to build houses and provide housing for our citizens? We should we need to think about that each time uh, we we bring a bill up for consideration. And then the last thing, uh, our last priority, which I really haven't heard yet this morning, is rebuilding trust across the state of Washington. We're almost two years into a state of emergency. There's a lot of frustration and all from all political uh, perspectives around our state. And, and I think we have a real challenge here in terms of the people of the state of Washington trusting state government and to a certain extent local government to, that they're doing the right thing in the middle of, of this long pandemic. One of the things we can do, I think it's very meaningful at the state level, is, is some practical, pragmatic reforms to emergency powers. And I'm pleased to see the majorities enter that conversation over the last week and a half. I don't think we agree yet, but I hope we can have a discussion and really do something that brings balance back and brings confidence back to people of the state of Washington. At the local level, uh, we have a lot of frustration with our, you know, I wouldn't say it's cities, but that the school districts have a lot of frustration from parents who are frustrated where their kids were kept out of school for a long period of time, where they don't feel like they're being, there's enough focus on recovering from the learning loss and where they think, you know, they've lost local control and the state is stepping in where we're in areas where it's not helpful. So I think just broadly rebuilding trust by, by, by balancing the, the, the branches at the state level and, and turning over more control at the, to locals at, at, the, at the school district level. And I think the same thing goes for cities. So perhaps that's something we can talk about. Those are our priorities for 2022. Thanks again for having me here. Thank you all for, for those overviews. And it is nice to hear how much of what you're working on and what your priorities are overlap with things that are important to cities, affordable housing, clarifying police reforms. I think Senator Braun, the um, 
civic engagement and um, trust in government is a, is a question we'll also hopefully have a little bit more time to talk about. Senator Billig mentioned transportation, and that is a, a priority for cities, has been, continues to be. And so I want to ask the next question about transportation. And this time, maybe we'll start with the senators and then um, go to the House members. But I'll let you kind of just jump in a, a little bit more than going in order. So again, transportation funding is a priority for cities across the state, small or large, particularly preservation and maintenance needs. Not quite as exciting as building big new things, but um, much needed. We understand there are challenges to a statewide package in a short session, but what, what are your caucuses working on to come together and come up with a package that addresses both state and local transportation? transportation needs on an ongoing basis. And again, I'll let the senators um, jump in maybe first and then uh, House members. Go ahead, John. Well, I'm happy to jump in. This is a topic I have a lot of interest in. Um, I think, And I think, I, mean, I don't want to speak for others, but I think there's been a lot of uh, of bipartisan interest in the transportation package. Uh, we recognize the need not only for some investment in some big projects, but as you said, Candace, there's a ton of maintenance buildup that needs, needs help. You, all you have to do is drive down I-5 as an example, and you see, you, you feel the ruts in the road, you know we are we're not keeping up with our maintenance. You know, that's a simple example, but there's a lot of maintenance bridges the same way. So lots to be done. I am encouraged on a couple fronts on this. Uh, you know, one, uh, I saw that recently Senator Leas in his new role as chair of transportation said, they're not going to pursue a gas tax. I couldn't agree more with that. I think based on the things that were done last year and the, the looming price increases in, in gas and, and the unaffordability uh, the affordability issue I talked about earlier, gas tax, is absolutely the wrong thing. And but but the good news is we are enormously fortunate right now today, 2022. We have an opportunity to make a big investment in transportation by using some of the one-time money that we have from a couple of sources from federal federal funding, and this huge growth in revenue we've seen in the operating budget. Uh, we have the opportunity to, to shift some of that funding. And we, of course, have proposed, and there's a, a nice package that JT can talk about from the House, to use motor vehicle uh, sales tax to pay for roads and bridges and, and other forms of multimodal forms of transportation. This is, I think, a great opportunity, one that right now, we, we, you know, we have a tremendous, unique opportunity in front of us this year, maybe next year if we don't spend all this money uh, on other things, to shift to a long-term funding for transportation infrastructure, not just a, an, a, an ongoing, but infrastructure to something from the operating budget that changes our future over the next couple of decades. We've been reliant, I'd say over-reliant on gas tax for three decades. Uh, we've, we've had this addiction to gas tax bonding that's simply unsustainable. We have the opportunity in front of us right now to, to, to create a legacy type move for the future of Washington, where we have an ongoing steady stream of investment in, in transportation, both for maintenance and for large projects, if we take the opportunity. I hope we will. I think we're we're coming together a little bit on this. It seems I've hear, I hear that there's interest in maybe some one-time funding. I think we need to look harder at what are the opportunities for long-term funding. I think we can absolutely afford it without any impact on services provided by the operating budget. So I, that's what I'm hopeful we get to. I know we're not there yet, but we will work in good faith uh, to make progress. Yeah, and you know, I already touched a little bit on on transportation. I agree with uh, a lot of what Senator Braun said and kind of made some some general comments about the momentum that we have and, and I'm optimistic. You know, one of the things without using a gas tax, which I think is the right uh, move for this moment in time, it means while well, to be a comprehensive package, it may be just a little bit smaller than some of the earlier proposals that have been seen. And that, you know, I think that's fine. I think we can still get a lot done, a really balanced proposal, lots 
uh, for maintenance and preservation, but also getting some big projects done. But one of the things about transportation and one of the reasons I'm so supportive of getting a package done is that transportation touches everything, right? It's the foundation of our economy for freight mobility, for people to be able to to get to work, for people to have safe, reliable ways to get to doctor's appointments and to get their groceries and everything else. It just touches everything else. We know it's so important uh, if we've got to do it right. because it has impacts on climate change and land use. And something Speaker Jenkins and I have both worked on, uh, it has incredible connections to health. Um, That's one of the, uh, was a real eye-opener when I first came to the legislature and started diving in. I was on the Transportation Committee and seeing that connection between transportation and health, uh, not just people being able to get to, say, doctor's appointment, but actually if we do it right and we have uh, smart and easy and safe pedestrian and bike and transit opportunities, that makes people healthier uh, because then they can work that exercise into their daily life. So that'll be an additional focus. Doesn't get talked about as much related to transportation, but it's one of the lenses we'll be looking at in this package. Thank you, Senators. Um, Speaker Jenkins, Representative Wilcox, your thoughts on transportation and what might happen this year? Go ahead, JT. Okay, well, uh, I appreciate what John Braun uh, said, uh, and also uh, I'm super proud of uh, Andrew Barkas, my seatmate in our House Republican uh, Transportation Lead. Uh, Andrew uh, presented a plan uh, earlier, well, actually late in 2021. It is a big, bold plan. Uh, He did it in partnership with uh, Representative Drew Stokesbury because it impacts uh, the uh, operating budget, and Drew is a talented budget writer. Uh, John Braun uh, is, uh, I think, on board with much of this, and John has been a budget writer since the day he stepped into the legislature in 2012. Uh, We can do this with the dollars that are available. We should go big. We should go bold. There is nothing that could have a bigger impact on the strongest economic growth that is spread throughout the state and to every individual here than uh, taking these cash flows that are available, both uh, one-time dollars and uh, the increased dollars that are available in future future budgets, and turning that into the most important asset for the benefit of the economy. I probably don't have a ton to add to uh, this, uh, but I will just say, I think, you know, all three of the leaders have brought up uh, really good points on issues that we need to work through and work on. I also expect that there will uh, be one-time dollars going into this. And just uh, uh, the, as uh, JT talked about the pride that he has in his seatmate, you know, Jake Fye, my seatmate, is the chair of the House Transportation Committee. And Jake has probably been to many of your communities across the state. And if he hasn't been there, it's been another member of our negotiating team on the House Democratic side to hear the issues that are important to you. We've really, the issue of maintenance uh, and operations has really come through as a primary focus, um, as you know, as well as using the dollars from the Climate Commitment Act appropriately and and uh, as considered, you know, when the Climate Commitment Act was uh, was passed, uh, we do have some capability for additional bonding. So I think that'll be something that we'll look at. I think our biggest enemy right now is time. 60-day short session. I said this in the beginning. We were, we're already, we have 42 days left. The teams are working every day, meeting every day. I just talked to, uh, I met with uh, 
rep Phi on Monday night, and he was still down in Olympia at about eight o'clock when I talked to him, uh, uh, having just come out of some negotiations. So, um, you know, the thing that I would ask folks to do is to really focus on the important things uh, and to, you know, what's nitpicky to one person is really important to another person. But finding the right balance of engagement and doing in having that engagement really early on so that when the package comes out, we are actually fine tuning it, not needing to go back to the beginning. Because if we have to do that, we're not going to get a package this year. So really working uh, with the teams right now is going is really important as they formulate kind of their first version of a package, a uh, big version of a package and and you know, bicameral version. Thank you all for that. And and I would just say um, thanks and kudos to your transportation uh, leadership from all of your caucuses, because um, uh, like Representative Five, they've all been very uh, open and, um, and, and gone out of their way to hear what cities are interested in when it comes to transportation. So I think that is, um, that is great. We hope that that bodes well for um, a, a package. Uh, if it's a small package this year or a bigger package in the future, bodes well for local needs being part of that since our transportation system is so interconnected. It doesn't exist really as a state or local system. It is one big Washington transportation system. I want to pivot uh, a moment now. Um, you all, uh, or many of you talked about affordable housing as one of the things that you're concerned about. And um, so our next question, and um, maybe I'll, I'll say we'll start with our house leaders this time, so you can get ready. Um, our next question is about the fact that we all recognize the, the need for affordable housing, the challenges um, that we face in providing more affordable housing, as well as more supportive and emergency housing for those experiencing homelessness. Uh, during the last couple of sessions, the legislature has provided more funding and adopted policies to address these needs. This session, the legislature is considering uh, bills to preempt local zoning authority around single family zoning. Cities have expressed concerns about preemption of local zoning decisions uh, made under GMA and this kind of one size fits all uh, approach um, that doesn't perhaps maybe even result in more housing and and maybe not affordable housing at that. Uh, How do you respond to to these concerns? I know you've probably been hearing concerns from your local city officials. What do you think of this kind of approach and what other solutions are you exploring for affordable housing? Uh, I'm, I guess I'll start off uh, here. First of all, I just want to say how proud I am of the city of Tacoma for, for spending uh, a couple really, uh, a couple years in really in-depth work on how to add um, middle housing, mid housing. Um, and I, I think that the outcome of that has been good. So I think part of this is achieving a balance, um, making sure that local governments can work on these issues. But at the same time, I, I do think that we know that middle housing and um, added general density is one of the tools in the toolbox that we need to address uh, affordable housing. This is one of those issues, as most of the issues that we deal with in the legislature, there is no single um, solution to affordable housing. Uh, but uh, this uh, this is definitely one. 
Uh, we've heard a lot from uh, cities in particular that uh, it needs to be integrated into a city's comprehensive planning process. So I think whatever you see come will definitely require that. Um, and it, it's, I think what right now, kind of what members are really talking about is how to kind of scare, scale reasonable density uh, along uh, for cities of different sizes and uh, in the transit, um, in transit zones. So I think all of these things are gonna be um, looked at. I think we're open to lots of other ideas. But, um, you know, we did MFTE last year, I think, which, uh, you know, adds and, and helps. And I know that that has helped in the city of Tacoma. We remain kind of interested in all the ideas. It's not, this is one of those issues that's not going to be solved uh, overnight because we got here over a long period of time. But it is going to be important that everyone, every, every city and every town engage in this. Uh, and, you know, I come from a city that has done done this and has done a lot of these kinds of things. And it doesn't work if you have some folks do it and others say no, doesn't work. So uh, that's, I think, one of the things that's that the legislature is trying to do with some of uh, its work around this this year. Well, I think Republicans generally are not in favor of uh, every size, or, sorry, one solution uh, fitting everybody. We represent diverse communities and they have to find their own solutions. Uh, I, I don't know of any communities that don't think that housing is important now, but uh, along with the availability of housing, we have to consider the cost of construction of new housing. And I can't remember hardly a week of floor action going by without over 12 years without some debate uh, about things that have passed the legislature that makes it more expensive uh, to build housing and to live in housing. Uh, and there's some examples that are likely to pass this year, things that have to do with um, building codes that, you know, sometimes don't add a few pennies to the cost of a home, but can add tens of thousands of dollars to the cost of the home. And these are, and I'm not talking about just homes either. I'm talking about uh, uh, apartment buildings and duplexes. And uh, these are things that have been ignored over this time. And uh, year after year, they add up. And all of a sudden, if you're trying to build public housing, you're talking about three, four, five hundred thousand dollars per unit, which makes it impossible to solve the problem with public housing. So uh, along with offering uh, as many tools as possible for areas that choose to increase the supply of housing, we also have to, you know, have a sense of discipline that says we're not going to do things that's going to make it harder for people to live in homes and harder to build additional homes and more expensive when you build them. Thank you. We'll go to senators now. Um, you know, obviously, housing's really been important the last few years and continues to be. And I'm really proud of the record investments of the legislature made in various types of housing programs uh, last year, and that's going to continue. And really, we're doing that very much in partnership with, with our local partners uh, to, to help implement uh, most of those um, programs. You know, uh, I'll try not to be repetitive, um, but, you know, density is just, it, it's, it's the best way to do uh, development. It um, reduces the uh, cost to provide services. Uh, it's better for the environment. It's better for quality of life. It's better for 
Um, and in a lot of cases, it's even better for public safety to have that density and that vibrancy in, in downtown cores. So, um, you know, I think that it is smart that we focus on density. Uh, the bill that you referred to, uh, whether that passes or not, I'm not sure because we have this balance. I think people, me included, we care about local control. And so to try to get that balance right to where we're really focusing on density, um, but also allowing that local control. We passed a bill yesterday out of the Senate I was really proud of that uh, it helps to focus on density. So it'll eliminate the occasional um, uh, project that would be outside or illegal under the Growth Management Act. Uh, this happens about um, you know once a year, once every two years, a big development that, um, that goes uh, somewhere outside the Growth Management uh, Act or illegal under the Growth Management Act creates sprawl and creates problems for cities because then these communities say, hey, what about our services? Um, how come we don't have our roads out here? We need schools, we need fire coverage. And um, so we want to make sure those, so it's not just the cost of the house and the homeowner, but it's also looking at the cost to the taxpayers and the local municipalities about how to provide services when we do do development. Um, one uh, bill I did want to mention that some, some of the people on this call may be interested in that's really specific to housing development and density is a bill that actually um, uh, Speaker Jenkins' seatmate, uh, one of our newest senators, uh, Senator Trudeau, is running. And uh, it's a bill that uh, I think really works in Tacoma, where she represents, and in Spokane, where I represent. I was really proud to work with her on this bill. But it, it creates a, uh, an incentive for developers to take surface parking lots or other undeveloped land in urban cores and turn them into productive, uh, better, more productive uses, particularly housing and mixed use with housing. And so uh, that bill is Senate Bill 5755, if you're interested. And I think it will uh, be one of the pieces uh, that we try to pass this year uh, to incentivize more housing development. Yeah, so, so this is an area where I think we have broad agreement that we need more houses. Nobody can dispute that. We do have some disagreement on how you get there. And I, I just... I go back to the basic math, you know, just round easy round numbers, and they're not quite right. But say we put a billion dollars into affordable housing, but each one of those houses costs four hundred thousand dollars. That means we build two hundred fifty a year. That's simple math, right? We're two hundred fifty thousand houses behind in our state. That takes a thousand years to catch up. Uh, that just doesn't work. That's not a real solution for the people of the state of Washington. So is it part of the problem? Absolutely. But we have to engage the private sector to have any chance. Of, of getting this solved to the people of the state of Washington so they can have affordable housing. And, and I disagree, and, and I think he knows this with Senator Billig on this issue. We had a healthy debate on, on Senate Bill 5042 uh, that, that basically made the vest, you know, potentially could eliminate the vesting rights for folks that are building houses in the state of Washington. And I don't disagree that there is a problem, but as he said, it happens once, maybe twice a year. Uh, to solve a problem that happens once, maybe twice a year, we just added cost to everybody that's going to build housing in the state of Washington forever, if this bill passes and is signed into law. So I just say that's the wrong approach. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the, how the costs are borne when you do uh, private uh, development and private housing. You know, the, the, the developers are required by most of your your uh, members to pay the cost of extending utilities, to pay the cost, you know, they're required to do transportation studies. They're required to look very hard before they put in these new developments. These things don't go, generally speaking, you know, with one or two exceptions per year, don't generally go the way they're described and, and way this bill addresses it. So this is an example where instead of engaging 
positively with the private sector, helping the private sector develop more housing effectively and affordably for the people of the state of Washington. We're layering on one more cost. It's just the wrong direction. That's where we start to disagree. And I think it's the wrong direction for the state of Washington. Again, unaffordable. Thank you all for that. Um, yeah, I think cities have uh, worked hard on affordable housing issues and housing issues in general um, at the local level and partnering with the state. And we hope that that can continue. There have been some really good uh, bills that have passed over the last few years that have helped address some of the, the concerns that you all raise. Um, so, you know, um, from repeated conversations that infrastructure is one of the most important things that city officials are wrestling with and, and trying to provide in their communities. And it's hard to keep up with growing populations, environmental needs, aging systems. Um, with the Federal Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed in the fall, um, that, that provides some hope of some additional federal funding coming into these systems. What is the legislature doing to meet the state's basic infrastructure needs like water, sewer, and stormwater um, that are almost entirely provided by local government? And how will you ensure that state and federal investments go to those local government infrastructure needs? I went first last time, so I'll defer to you, John. Okay. I'll jump in there. Thank you. Um, and, and this is an area where I think there is a lot of common ground. And we've worked, you know, historically, the, bi the capital budget is a bipartisan process, uh, and it was a high you know, high priority on infrastructure funding and development around our state. I'd, I'd say if you look broadly at the capital budget, probably number one is school construction. Number two is is funding uh, local infrastructure through a whole range of sources. And, and uh, so I, I think there's a lot of agreement on how that's done. Where I think the challenge is and where we fall short uh, is, is in particular is on, uh, and this, this affects two things, is in uh, legacy systems. How do we help, because as I said earlier in a comment, you know, when we're building new, broadly, we're requiring, you know, most, most municipalities are requiring the developers to pay for that, but, they, but there's no one to look to and say, hey, this legacy system, whether it's water or sewer or stormwater, uh, who's gonna put the bill for that? And it's really hard for, for locals, some do it better than others, to, to plan for that and capture it in their rates uh, that are in, in rates that are acceptable to their citizens. So that's where I think the state can come in. Uh, in particular, I'll put a shameless plug in for a bill I have, um, uh, you know, stormwater. Stormwater is a big deal. Like Legacy stormwater, we talk about cleanup Puget Sound. The, aside from solid waste, stormwater is the biggest impact, and it's, it's legacy stormwater. I think, and not picking on by any means any locality, but they've just been around for a while, Tacoma, Seattle. Uh, the folks on the Olympia, these are legacy systems and there's no funding source to, to get after that. And I, I proposed and, and there's other good proposals out there to move uh, Matka money into helping do this, helping cities afford to fix these legacy problems. They do two things. They provide a better system for local citizens and they help clean up our, our, our sound and, and adjacent waterways. So I think there's a lot we can do there. I think there's a lot we agree on, but there's, we're certainly not, you know, not where we want to be yet. Thank you. Senator Billing. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we have a great story to tell on, on infrastructure. I think our state has done well, but we have huge challenges ahead. Um, you know, last year was a record capital budget. Uh, this is, of course, the supplemental year, but I think also will be uh, a, a supplemental record capital budget. Um, we do have a lot of one-time funds, as you've heard. And so looking at ways to effectively use one-time funds, infrastructure funding, is a good way to do that. You don't want to take one-time funds and start some new program that goes on forever. 
And so I think that you will see some one-time funding in that we have in reserve or have generated um, or the federal funding that can be used for the capital budget. So I think you'll see a robust capital budget um, for uh, a supplemental year. I don't want to repeat because uh, I agree a lot with what Senator Braun said, but one area that didn't get mentioned was broadband. Uh, we did a huge investment in broadband. Uh, a lot of times we talk about this as a rural issue, which it very much is. But in my district in central Spokane, there are people that do not have access to reliable broadband. So it's a it's an urban issue as well. And we've got a lot more work to do here. This broadband and just like with housing and a lot of infrastructure, the I think hard thing or frustrating thing is that, you know, it's not immediate. You know, we put the money in and it takes a year or two or three before things come online. Uh, that's just the reality. The good thing is that we've been making investments the last few years. So I think those things are starting to come in line. we got to keep those investments up. And I, I think uh, the people on this call will be um, uh, pleased with what they see in our capital budget. Thank you. Representative Wilcox, Speaker Jenkins. Well, thank you. Uh, I spent a good part of the 1990s uh, looking for places to put processing plants and, and learned a ton from that. One of the things that I learned is that uh, a scarce commodity in our state is uh, infrastructure so that you can do economic development. And uh, I, I don't know that it has changed a whole lot since then. In fact, we probably have less available infrastructure. And uh, it's one of those things that you have to build first before anybody comes because the timeline of these things are very long. And if uh, you have uh, employers that are looking to site facilities, you have to have that capacity available. And fortunately, uh, Representative Mary Dye, uh, who represents the far corner of the state over there in uh, Whit Whitman County, uh, has a bill that uh, redirects uh, funds to make a major investment, not, not just in Whitman County, but in the Puget Sound area, because she recognizes that one of the environmental goals that we could absolutely accomplish is cleaning up Puget Sound by adding wastewater handling capacity, whether it's process capacity or, uh, or stormwater capacity uh, to uh, the municipalities uh, along Puget Sound and in other areas. Uh, that will solve a major pollution, a major environmental problem that we have, and it will also set this region up for the next generation of uh, economic growth. And I think uh, another advantage that uh, her plan presents is that it allows that growth to be a little bit more diversified. It won't have to be in Seattle. It won't have to be in Tacoma because we will have other uh, smaller cities that have capacity and that helps us with our transportation as well, because there's already people living uh, outside of those larger towns having to commute for work. And if we can keep them home working, then we will have less congestion on our roads. I'm just going to add quickly, because I don't think there's very much more to be added um, here. But just to give people kind of a sense of, you know, after we had a historic capital budget, by biennial budget last year, we've got about $200 million this year, which if you pay attention to what our capital budgets look like. It's not very much. Um, and so usually in a supplemental budget, we're looking at things like leaky roofs and broken boilers and, and uh, burned down schools, things like that that are super urgent. I think we are also looking, though, at how we can use federal funds uh, in the capital um, sector. I mean, I think we're going to allocate some federal funds for clean drinking water. My guess is there will be priorities for port infrastructure. 
uh, to help uh, freight movement and things like that. And then I, we can also help, I think, by maybe streamlining um, some of our budget programs uh, to make sure that we can get money out for um, water and sewer projects more quickly, for broadband more quickly. So we'll look at that. And then as Senator Billig and maybe others mentioned, uh, there is, I think, the strong possibility of some ARPA funds going into capital budget. So um, uh, it won't be another biennial budget, but we're going to do as much as we can to maximize the budget that we've got in capital this year. Thank you all so much. We've, we've only got like two minutes left, so I am hesitant to ask another question. And I was going to ask about kind of that civility issue and, and engagement that I think in, in that trust in government aspect. So maybe I'll just give you each kind of that 30 seconds of what, what you want to leave um, city officials with around that, that concept. I'm happy to start off with this, uh, Candace. Uh, one of the things I don't want us to do is to create false equivalency about what's going on in this nation. It's, you know, people are disrupting public meetings. It's not people who want vaccinations. It's not people who are wearing masks who are doing that. Uh, it's, uh, it's folks who are hostile to those kinds of concepts. Now, you can disagree about those things and have good dialogue about that disagreement. But bringing firearms and threatening is not the way that we move forward in this country uh, or in this state. You know, likewise, I have a member who filed a bill which immediately um, we recognized was not a bill that could go forward this year. She got credible death threats for filing a piece of legislation. Right. And then one of the caucuses continues to actually cite that bill in their tweets and uh, and really kind of incite people when it's been clear for weeks now that there's that the bill is not moving at all. You know, uh, those are the kinds of things like uh, if my caucus were doing that, if my members were doing that and people should tell me if they are because I'll pull them back in. JT, you know, had people threatening, trying to break into the House floor to get to him last year. That is not okay. So the issues here are not about that we shouldn't debate difficult issues, but when we rise to threats of violence and when we use public dollars to actually, uh, uh, you know, push those kinds of concepts forward, that is not all right and no one should be doing it. We should all call it out. I have really respected the work that uh, that all four corners have done to call that out at times, but I think we could be doing better. Thank you. Again, um, Representative Wilcox, you want to jump in? If you can just keep it really brief, I know we're at our time, but I want to give you all a chance to respond to that. Sure. I, I agree it's a problem. And in some ways, many of you in local government get exposed to this more. Um, I think we're in this unique moment of history. I think that the last two years have shown that uh, lectures by politicians uh, probably have less utility than uh, they used to. And to me, the thing that all of us and most of you can do too is provide the best possible example of uh, engaging on issues, uh, not feeling that uh, you can intimidate people in terms of uh, preventing them from expressing themselves, but at the same time, model the very best uh, civil and productive behavior. Thank you. Senator Braun? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to add there. I, mean, I think I don't think there's a lot of disagreement on these issues uh, among the four of us. And I think 
while we certainly disagree on policy issues, sometimes vehemently, you know, as recently as yesterday afternoon, uh, we at least on this side of the rotunda, I, I appreciate uh, Senator Billings always always willing to talk and, and try to work through issues uh, and try and uh, manage them in a way that that you know recognizes our policy differences, but also uh, civil and respectful and and model what I think we we should be doing uh, across the state and across our nation. Yeah, and I, I think I agree very much with what's been said, and you know I, I think there's just so much heated rhetoric. And even sometimes on the floors, but it, it sort of hides what I think would really be surprising to people is the amount of actual bipartisan work that gets done. Uh, Senator Braun and I kind of went head to head yesterday on that on that land use bill, but then we had a conversation, you know, right adjacent to that uh, about uh, another issue where we're working together. So, um, and when you think about the the committee chairs working with the ranking members prime sponsors working with with others on amendments. Uh, there's so much bipartisanship, and I'm not sure quite how to shine the light on that, because I think that's an example that uh, would be good for people to see. And I just, as it was said earlier, I encourage all of the, um, your members try to model that behavior and, 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 and show the public that you can disagree uh, and do it in a way that's respectful. Um, I wish I had some answers of how to, to solve this because it is disturbing and I think it's a threat to our democracy uh, in a lot of ways. Well, thank you all for that. I, it's a tough time to be a public servant at the state or local level. And I, I think you're, you, the, the wisdom here is about modeling the behavior that we want to see and we all have that responsibility. So I appreciate those thoughts. Thank you for your patience in letting us go a couple of minutes over. A huge thank you to all of you. Again, we're honored that you would all join us for uh, nearly an hour this morning, which in legislative timeframes is like years. So thank you all so much. We're very pleased to have you and uh, look forward to continuing working with you. Thank you for listening. The AWC City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. Please note that the audio clips from this session were edited for length and clarity.